0: Our second reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, the second part of verse 4 through 14. Let us listen for God's word to us today. If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the house of Israel, a member of the people of Israel, ...of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord... For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and regard them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, And the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached this goal. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Earlier this week, the House of Representatives made news and history by acting to vacate the speaker's chair. The act stood out as an escalation, further deepening an already divided space. Divided between parties, of course, but increasingly also within parties. For while the focus is for this moment on the divisions within one party, we know very well that there are similar fissures in both. And the nature of these divides are increasingly a fundamental disagreement on the basic principles of governing, what it means today to bear the name Republican or Democrat. These are internecine debates, intra-party debates, and they're happening within those who would call themselves like-minded, who pledge the same principles, who have a shared identity, and yet differ significantly on the very nature of those principles and of that identity. We know that this has been building over time. There is hand-wringing, and of course, there are many headlines. And any student of history also knows that this is not the first time that this has happened for either of these groups, nor within political movements and parties worldwide. The hope might be, of course, that these debates lead to growth in some form, change that strengthens, change that benefits and progresses or conserves governing principles. And in this case, of course, the nation as a whole. Yet, frankly, it's hard to imagine it, particularly in the realm of partisan politics, because here the ultimate goal is always necessarily internally focused. The survival of the party and the power of governing. Beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh, for it is we who worship in the Spirit of God. Sounds like it could have been part of a floor speech. perhaps it was. For it was with these words that the Apostle Paul began the passage that we then picked up this morning in this third chapter of his letter to the new church in Philippi. You see, Paul, too, was weighing in on an internecine debate. The first one in this Jesus movement that was to become the church we know today. And it was a ferocious debate. One that it's important to take a moment to consider carefully. Because for centuries, it has been misread and misappropriated to further anti-Semitic theologies. And in the world we live in today and this morning, as acts of terror against Jewish communities are on the rise, and two, as tensions seethe through centuries of religious and territorial aggression in ways that call us to prayer for an end to the violence this morning. With this background, it is our work not to repeat past mistakes that feed this very violence. So we remember that Paul, too, was a Jew who believed that Jesus had been raised by God and so was baptized. Speaking to people here, Paul was speaking to people here with much the same experience. These were, of course, among the first Christians, those who continued their Jewish practices of circumcision They followed dietary laws and lived joyfully in obedience to the Torah, even as they confessed Jesus as Lord, celebrated his resurrection, and recognized his living presence with bread and wine at the table. And two, there were Gentiles in this rapidly growing community, those who did not follow Jewish practice, who had come into this having Come to a belief in Christ. And in and among them, there were undeniable acts of the Spirit. Jesus saw it, and so did Paul. So the question quickly became what does it mean to bear the title of Christian, or more precisely, at the time, a follower of this way, those who believed and proclaimed Christ resurrected from the dead? What did it mean? to be among these. Now, we know that every club has its membership requirements and every identity has its unique characteristics that set it apart from others. And God has always been clear that there are certain ways of life that set the people of God apart. In our Exodus reading this morning, for example, we heard the crux of these, the Ten Commandments, 10 of the 613 that make up the entirety of the mitzvot, the law. It was pre- precisely these laws that Pa, nay, Saul, so, vehement, so vehemently defended. Their purpose was to teach the people a new way of life together. One that privileged generosity over exploitation, community over competition, asking them to trust God and to see God in one another rather than seeking the security of the pharaohs of the world. These were received, if we remember, by the Hebrews as they trudged through the wilderness on the far side of enslavement. Still not sure what this life or this God-not-Pharaoh was up to. And even in that time, as God laid down these laws for their living, still... As this community began to try and fail at following them, even then, we saw that God was not a stickler for ideological purity. Rather, the point was to offer a new life, a new way of life and relationship, a way that Jesus later distilled into two commandments in which all of the law and the prophets are fulfilled, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Centuries later, new generations of these faithful Jews were again facing a new way of life and relationship. And the challenge of this is what Paul is addressing to the community in Philippi, coming down where even he could not have predicted it. Paul uses his own experience as a defender of the law to argue against those who would maintain barriers to God's salvation. This is emphatically not a rejection of Jewish practice or faithfulness. It's an embrace of it, an expansion of it to witness to the revelation that Paul has now made his life's work to proclaim everywhere that in Christ, God continues to make all things new. The story began with one people and that one people continues to grow outward. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Joseph is the God of Moses and Miriam and Ruth is the God of Mary and Martha and Paul and the Philippian church. In Christ, God is doing a new thing, which does not, call for a rejection of what was before, nor does it call for a litmus test, for entry, or even uniformity, because that's the way it is with God. There is space to grow. There is space to understand differently and still to hold together. The death and resurrection of Jesus are an act of bridging the divide of heaven and earth, of all people to one another, a sign that the time of division is over and an era of reconciling grace has begun. Yet that was hard to hear for that community, as it is for us. We know church history well enough We live in this world, aware to what we see. We know that debate after internal debate still runs hot. We are not one body. The people of God in the church and outside of it continue to struggle with division and divisiveness, and at times we are left simply hopeless that we can achieve any other way of being. But the Apostle Paul does not let us forget that God is still doing something new. This week, another headline came from the Christian Church, specifically the Catholic Church, as Pope Francis opened the 16th General Assembly of the Senate of Bishops in Rome. This, too, made history. For even before the meeting began... It will be the first time that women and lay people are allowed to vote alongside bishops on any final documents that are produced from this wide ranging conversation. This conversation could have significant impact on church governance, inclusion, and accountability. On the proposed agenda is a call to elevate the leadership of women, including potentially allowing them to become deacons, which gives women the opportunity for the first time to be recognized as members of the clergy, preaching and assisting with communion. Also on the agenda is an active exploration of how to better welcome LGBTQ plus Catholics, as well as others who have been marginalized by the church to this point. The conversations that compose the agenda were garnered over two years of listening to members of the church around the globe. And while advocates for both the deepening of women's leadership and the radical inclusion of queer Catholics are unsure what the outcome will be, and this meeting will not yield decisive outcomes in either matter, still the growing call to something new has led to this point. In our own denomination, we have seen these particular movements, too. In the 1930s, with inclusion of women as elders, and then 1956, when women were allowed to be ordained as ministers of word and sacrament. In 1996, when Aaron Swenson became the first transgender minister to serve in the PCUSA, even before language had been changed in our polity to allow it, In 2011, when, for the first time, the ordination and installation of queer ministers of word and sacrament was allowed, and then again in 2014, when same-sex marriages were permitted to be presided over by PCUSA ministers and held in our congregations. I am here, as are both of my clergy colleagues, as one who did not always have this privilege, It was the Spirit's movement amid faithful people to engage with one another in ways that were and are challenging, and that did not always bear unanimity that made this possible. These are times when the people of God have been open to the Spirit's revelation, that Christ is still doing new things among us reforming us even further towards the shape of who God calls us to be, deconstructing walls that were flimsy from the beginning. It is true that there is not a consensus, nor is uniformity even required. The church divided each time these decisions were made. We still have work to do. Yet Christ has been made known, I believe, through the prophetic work and voices of many who have strained forward, as Paul did, to what lies ahead, making space for more people to be used to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ into a hurting and divided world where it can bear up new hope. And this is our mission, is it not? For we are not a movement nor an institution that is internally focused. Our goal, our mission is not the survival of a particular denomination or even a certain form of tradition. We believe that death has been defeated and that new life is the order of the day. So we are, as we have always been, externally focused. We are called, as the Hebrews were, as the early church was, to live differently, sacrificially even. We are not beholden to litmus tests for righteousness that only serve to fuel grievance. Instead, we strain ahead to something new. Trusting in the solidity of Christ, who has already paved this way, broken down every barrier, and reminds us along the way that in him there is no more death, only eternal life. Our call is straightforward, though it is not simple. It is to give everything that we have in the humble pursuit of loving God and loving one another so much so that the world is transformed by this reconciling grace. In this, all the law and the prophets are fulfilled and the hope of the nations restored. May it be so. Amen.